0: Man, it's great to be here uh, on this first Sunday of Advent uh, as we begin to prepare ourselves in the season of waiting, uh, preparing for the celebration of that amazing moment in God's story uh, when the divine just breaks into this world, uh, bringing redemption and restoration. And as we think about that story and uh, all the people that were involved in this story, I think it challenges us to ask the question, are we a part of that continuing story of God? Because the story goes on. It continues to play out. This great work of of grace and redemption and restoration. And we are all called, invited uh, to be a part of that. Are we a part of God's continuing story? Uh, There are some people that are... Uh, mechanically inclined i am not one of those people Uh, i know better than to even try and take anything apart because i know it's not going to end well i'm just i'm an idiot when it comes to that stuff i admit it i know it if i take something apart and i go to put it back together i guarantee you there is going to be some piece there is going to be some part that's going to be left over and i have absolutely no clue where it goes And I want to convince myself that it's just some extraneous extra part that isn't really necessary to the operation of the thing, but genuinely, I I have no clue, and I wish it were just an extra part, but I'll tell you what, most of the time I find out, it's not. It's significant. It's important, and it has a role to play. And, you know, that's how it is in God's kingdom. That's how it is in God's story. There are no insignificant or extraneous pieces or people. We all have a purpose. We all have a role to play. We can all be a significant part of God's story if we choose to be. And I'm reminded of that when I think about Joseph. This ordinary working class guy that somehow becomes a part of this amazing story of Christmas. And I want to bring your attention to the gospel of Matthew in chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. I think sometimes Joseph is the, the overlooked character in the Christmas story. Uh, you know, we, we get all kinds of songs, and, and we say a lot, and we sing a lot about Mary and angels and, and magi, and, and Joseph is just kind of the guy that's there, you know? I think sometimes we look at Joseph as that extra extraneous piece. We needed somebody to stand by Mary there in the nativity scene, and that's not really fair because he's a significant part of the story. If you think about his role as a husband to Mary, as an earthly father for Jesus, if you think about that role, the influence, and the importance of that, Joseph was an important part of the story. And how is it that Joseph, this ordinary working class guy, how is it that he has this role of significance, that he becomes a part of this amazing event? Part of Jesus' life, a key player in God's story. Was it just chance? Was he just that extra part thrown in, right place, right time kind of thing? Or did he become a part of this story because of who he was and the choices that he made? I want us to step into Joseph's place for a few moments. Many of us know the story. He was engaged to be married uh, to Mary. And in that day and culture, fathers arranged marriages for their daughters. The families arranged that. It was a binding and legal contract. Although you were not yet together as husband and wife, you were legally bound as such. I mean, if one of them died, the other was considered a widow or a widower. The, The only way to end that arrangement was a legal divorce proceeding. And so Joseph was bound to Mary, and Mary was bound to Joseph. There was an agreement, and there was within that the promise of fidelity. And then one day, Mary is found to be pregnant. Now, you're Joseph. What are you going to assume? What are you going to think? I could guarantee, see, we look at it from this side, but I guarantee you, if you or Joseph or you or anybody else there in that moment, your first thought is not going to be, well, praise God, this is a miracle. This is of God. <laughs> the virgin has conceived and she will give birth to the Messiah. Your teenage daughter comes home and says, I am pregnant. Oh, but an angel said it's okay because this is of God. You're not going to buy that story. So what does Joseph assume? He assumes what you and I would have assumed, the only thing that you can assume, that she has been with somebody else. She's been unfaithful. And so Joseph does the only thing that he can do. He plans to divorce her. Because Matthew tells us that he was faithful to the law. And the direction of Jewish law in the case of infidelity, was that she had to be punished. Now, now under Old Testament law, she could be executed, but in this, time, in this time period, that really didn't happen. They weren't able to do that. But the reality was, the law demanded, the expectation of Jewish law was that she would be punished, and so the law demanded that he divorce her. And not only Jewish law, even in Roman law, The demand was that if a woman committed adultery, the husband was to divorce her. In fact, under Roman law, if a husband did not divorce an adulterous wife, he was considered as someone who was treating his wife as a prostitute. He was a panderer. And so the expectation of law, the demand of law and culture was to divorce the unfaithful wife. And so Joseph is going to do what is expected and what is demanded. But as we look at Joseph, there are two significant words that I want you to notice there in verse 19. He was faithful to the law. But then there's these two words. And yet, and yet, you see, doing what the law demanded, fulfilling the expectations of the law and the culture, that that was not the whole story for Joseph. He was faithful to the law, and yet, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. You see, Joseph could have made her pay. Under the law, he had the right to take her to court, to prove her her unfaithfulness publicly. And in doing so, he could have impounded her dowry. He could have reclaimed the bride price. He could have gained some kind of profit. He could have at least gained some kind of economic benefit out of this shameful experience. He had every right to do so. It was his right. The law gave him that right. Many people would have expected him to do so. Most people would have said she deserved it. She had shamed and embarrassed him. She had, they assumed, betrayed him in the most personal and hurtful way. She had brought disgrace and dishonor on him and his family, who had arranged a marriage apparently with someone who was obviously of low character. It was an embarrassment for everybody. She had brought shame on them all. It was his right. It was expected. Many people thought she deserved it. He could have made her pay he could have at least walked away with some benefits. And yet, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. What she faced was bad enough already in Joseph's mind. Her unfaithfulness essentially assured that she would not ever be able to get married. And that was a dreadful prospect in that time. In a male-dominated culture, when women were completely and totally economically dependent upon men, for her to have no chance of getting married, that was a horrible fate. And Joseph saw absolutely no reason, and he had absolutely no desire to punish her or disgrace her anymore. And so he chose to simply give her a certificate of divorce in front of two or three witnesses, And in so doing, he released all claim, all possibility of reimbursement, all possibility of economic benefit or profit out of this deal. Joseph had rights, but he chose the way of mercy. He had rights, but he chose the way of mercy. But before he can even divorce her quietly, an angel comes and tells him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, that this truly is a miraculous work of God, that she will give birth to the Messiah. Well, there's good news, right? Good news, end of story, all's well that ends well. Everything is good for Joseph now, right? Well, not really. You see, the problem is not completely solved for Joseph. In in fact, it becomes more complicated for him now. Because you remember what everyone else thinks, what everyone else assumes, and what everyone else expects. They believe that Mary's been unfaithful. He must divorce her. So what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't divorce her and he actually takes her as his wife? What is he saying to everyone? Well, either he's saying that he doesn't care that she's been adulterous and he he doesn't care about the demands of law, or he's making a confession that the child is his. That he was the one who was with her before the appropriate time. That he was the one who acted without honor. You see, for Joseph in this moment, to be obedient to what the angel says, to be obedient to what God is asking him to do, means that others are not going to understand. It means that others are going to assume the wrong thing. Others are going to make wrong judgments, and they are going to look down on him. Joseph, by taking Mary as his wife is sacrificing his own honor and his own reputation in the eyes of others. And in a culture where honor was everything, that was huge. And so Joseph, the one who was willing to act in mercy toward Mary despite what others might expect, now shows that he is willing to act in obedience to God despite what others might expect. You see, Joseph is a part of this amazing story. He he was a part of what God was doing in the world, not by chance, not as some extra unimportant part. He is a significant part of this story, of God's story, because of the choices that he made. He becomes a part of what God is doing in the world because he was willing to look beyond himself and his own rights and his own reputation. He was able to look beyond what everybody else expected and what everybody else wanted and what everybody else thought of him. He was able to look beyond himself. And because of that, he becomes a part of God's story. You know, I think there are a lot of us that are living our lives without being a part of, of God's story. We're living life, but we're not really a part of what God's doing in our world. And it's not because we aren't gifted enough. And it's not because we aren't valued enough. And it's certainly not because God doesn't want us to be a part of his work. It's not because we're just some extra part that really isn't all that important. If we are not a significant part of what God is doing in this world, it's because, unlike Joseph, we can't get over ourselves. That's it. If we are not a significant part of what God is doing in this world, it is because we cannot get beyond ourselves. You know, we've all been wronged, betrayed, and mistreated like Joseph thought he had. But how many times, rather than seizing those moments as an opportunity to be an expression of the mercy of, and the love and the forgiveness of God. Rather than taking those moments of hurt and betrayal and using them as a moment to reveal the forgiveness and the restoration that's been offered to us through Christ, what do we do? We cling to our rights. We cling to what we think is deserved. We want to make them pay. Because after all, it's our right. And they deserve it. All around us are are opportunities to make a difference in this world. To be expressions of God's grace and restoration. All around us are opportunities to invest in people. To give of ourselves and our resources to make a difference. But how many times are we just more concerned with reputations and appearances and we're more concerned about the lifestyle that we've created and that we want to maintain. Unlike Joseph, who was willing to face discomfort for the sake of obedience, we're more preoccupied with our own comfortable existence. And you know what? Ministry is not convenient, and it is not comfortable. Because ministry involves people, and people are a mess. People are just a mess. And it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable. The other day I was watching a a football game and a commercial came on. And I think it was some investment company or I I don't even remember. But but there was this statement in the commercial. And I've been thinking about it ever since. It said, a big part of life is knowing what you're living for. It's a good statement. It's a good question to ask. A big part of life is knowing what you are living for. What are you living for day in and day out? I mean, really. Really? As you think about your life and what you give yourself to and how you spend your time and how you invest yourself and all that you have, what are you really living for day in and day out? What story are you a part of? Are you a part of God's story, a part of what God is doing in the world, making a real difference or are you just part of some meaningless existence that you're trying to maintain? As you think this morning about your life and the people in your life, as you think specifically about those people that have hurt and betrayed you, ask the question, what are you, what are you living for? What's the point of your life? I mean, really, is the point of your life just to somehow make them pay and get what you think you deserve and give them what you think they deserve? Or is it a much better story? A much better story. To be an expression of the grace and the mercy of God. To someone who needs it just as much as we need it. What's the point of your life? As you look around at the broken and hurting people that you live next to and the folks that you work with, those people who have made bad choices and they are just a mess and they continue to make a mess of things and they are desperate and they are needy, what are you living for? What's the point of your life? to try and build some kind of a fortress of comfort and convenience where you're you're just separated and protected from all the mess that is out there or, or is it a better story a much better story to be light in their darkness to give yourself for something bigger and to invest your life in a way that brings the mercy and the restoration of God into the lives of others You see, Joseph became a part of a bigger story, God's story, because he got over himself. He was willing to stand out as an expression of mercy in a world where mercy was not expected. He was willing to carry out God's work and to be a part of what God was doing, even if it meant sacrificing his own reputation in the eyes of others, making his life uncomfortable and inconvenient. Through this Advent season, I hope that you'll ask the question again, what am I really living for? What story am I really writing? As I interact in the lives of people, as I give of myself and my time, what am I really living for? What story am I really a part of? And I pray, that your eyes will be open to all the ways that God is working around you. And I pray that you'll be challenged like never before to get over yourself and become a part of a bigger and much better story. Can I pray with you this morning? Lord your story continues to be written in our world. You broke into this place bringing mercy and grace and restoration and that continues to work its way out as you build your kingdom. And Lord you have invited us to be a part of that work. To be a part of a, a bigger and much better story but Lord, we just have to confess that sometimes we settle for so much less. We we settle for our own pathetic stories that are centered around us and what we think we deserve and what the world says we deserve and what the world says everybody else deserves. Shallow and pathetic stories that revolve around our own comfort and our convenience and our own desires. Lord, help us to wrestle with the question again, what are we really living for? And by your grace, may we come to that place where we just truly die to self again. And we offer ourselves as a part of your story. Where we allow ourselves to become expressions of your mercy your reconciliation, your restoration. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the invitation to be a part of your work. Thank you for the grace that makes it possible. And now we pray. Help us. Help us to become a part of it. We want to live a better story.